All right, all right, all right. Welcome to the well. If you're a guest with us, my name is Al. I'm one of the pastors here. It's an honor and privilege to have you guys. We're preaching through God's Word. We, this, if you're a guest with us, what we typically do is go verse by verse through different books of the Bible. We've been studying this great book of the Bible called 1 Corinthians. It's, it's the uh, author. His name is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a church, a young church, about 40 to 80 people in the city of Corinth. And they are just a, a, a young, growing church. They have a lot of issues, a lot of stuff that's going on in the church. Uh, they've been dealing with conflict. One of the conflicts being is that they, they see themselves as very divided. In early, early parts of 1 Corinthians, they saw themselves um, in, in arguing with factions. They had like one guy was following this pastor, another group of people were following that pastor. They're just divided. And the Apostle has written to them, uh, and, and he's, he spoke at length several things about being unified together as one body, one team with one God, one Jesus, one mission. And so one of the things that where their division has, has found themselves itself playing out is in the context of spiritual gifts. And so here's the reality. When it comes to uh, divisions in the church, you usually may see them in one area, but if you, if you look closely, you'll probably see divisions filter into other areas. So they start off with their favorite preacher, but now they're, they're divided even on how they're using the gifts that God has given to his church. And so we've been looking at different spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so uh, what, what we've, we've gone through several, six gifts, I think, so far, uh, and we've taken a break from talking talking about, uh, uh, or, or we haven't taken a break, we've pushed aside uh, tongues and prophecy to the next few chapters in a few more weeks. The reason being is because God deals uh, with the, the gifts of prophecy uh, and the gifts of tongues, uh, specifically in the entire chapter. So we're, we're waiting to talk about those when we get there. Uh, so what today is, since we go verse by verse through books of the Bible, we're in the middle of chapter 12, which actually doesn't talk about any gift. But uh, we will get back into certain other gifts next week. So I just want you to know that's where we're at, where we're going. People are like, where are we at? Well, I'll just tell you to keep reading, but I need you to know, like, that's where we're headed. That's where we're going. And so today, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. Uh, uh, And if you don't know one, it's our gift to you. Um, So take it, keep it, read it. But in that, the reason why I set up the sermon that way is to, is to see is he's been talking about spiritual gifts. We've been talking about spiritual gifts, and we're going to talk about other spiritual gifts. Uh, but in between getting to certain gifts, he, he, Paul stops in the middle of, uh, of an entire explanation of certain gifts before he gets to some other gifts, is that he talks about this whole idea of what we're going to talk about today, that we're one body with different members. He, he, he stops talking about the specifics of the gift and gets into this, this dialogue about who we are. So today's sermon is more about, is more of a reminder to us about whose we are and who we are rather than the gifts we have. And we're going to get back into talking about the gifts we have. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to reference gifts that we have today. But the focus today is not on exploring what, how has God gifted you per se. We're going to get back into that uh, next week and the following weeks. But, but today's, we need, to, we need a reminder about who we are and whose we are. That's important for us to understand today. So if we're going to use our gifts and talents and the things that God has given us, we've got to remember the context, remember uh, uh, how we are supposed to use them, but it, how we are supposed to use them dictates we understand who we are. What do I mean by this? He says we're one body with many members. We're going to see in a moment. If I'm a hand and I understand I'm part of the body, I understand my, the function of the hand is to support the human body, Correct. And so that's the analogy he's going to give and work with as we, as we see today. And so let's go ahead and pick it up. The first point I want us to see is that the local church, a local church, is a united team. A united team. Verse 12, uh, for, for just as the body is one and has many members, so like one human body with many body parts, right? Multiple body parts, many body parts, um, and all are members of the body, so all body parts are members of the same body. 
though it is only one body, so it is with Christ. So this is the point, is that just, and it kind of gets confusing with the language, uh, if, if you're like, well, what is he talking about? So the human body has different body parts, but it's part of the same body, correct? One body with different parts. That's all he's saying. I know that can be controversial uh, in certain spheres, but we're, we're human as one person uh, with many uh, different body parts. And so, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. When he's talking about it, we were all baptized into the body of Christ. Last week, we got to celebrate people meeting Jesus, knowing Jesus, being baptized into the family, the church of Jesus. And so, we've been buried in, with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. We're on one team, one faith, one baptism. United team, united by the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit unites the team. So, we're one great big body. The church of Jesus is one body. That's the analogy he uses. And so I'm going to also reference it uh, as a team as well, because he's given us a mission. The, the, the mission of, of the team is to continue the work of the kingdom that Jesus began when he, when he his earthly ministry and when he got out of the grave. And so, what we are united, though, I need us to see this. There is unity in the body of Christ. And just as the hand is united to the arm and the arm united to the shoulder and to the body, so, it, so are the members of the church. If you are a Christian, you are united to Christ's body. And you're not, it's, it's inseparable. You are united to Him. We're one body, one family with one mission. I need us to see this. And, and, and our king, King Jesus, drafted us or adopted us onto his one team, and he's given us different gifts. That's the context of 1 Corinthians 12. He's given the church different gifts. So when he's talking about many body parts, he's not talking about um, many members in the, in the roster of the church, though that can be applied as well. But he's talking about the, the, the people, the human souls that are on the membership rosters in the church have gifts. They have many gifts, and they're to be used for the purpose of Jesus in his mission, building up his church, what, we're gonna, what we've seen. And so today's sermon is going to be more of a pausing and reflecting on this big reality that we are on this team, this big team. So there's a real sense that, that the Apostle Paul is referring to, in some sense, the, the, the greater global church, right? The, the big C church, if you will, the, the church of Jesus in every nation and tribe that, that professes his name. Yes, we're one body globally, but we, we function, right, uh, uh, locally. And so the, the, Paul is writing to a specific church, the Corinthian church. They have specific gifts. That they, God has gifted them with a specific mission, so what I want us to see this is while we're working in tandem with all the other Christians globally, worldwide, we're all on the same team, Team Jesus, and we're on the same mission, Jesus' mission, where we're going to see every tribe, nation, and tongue profess his name, see the kingdom of God expand like he said it would through his church. While we're on that same mission, we have to understand that we have a local context and a local outpost to, to man. See, this church here, the Well Community Church, is, a, is an outpost for the gospel in the city of San Antonio. And that is our God-given charge. We love the churches down the street. We love the churches in other states, other nations. They got a mission too. They need to man their post, and you and I need to man our post. This is our post. And so it's our job to uh, equip the saints here, uh, the pastors here, to, to do the work of manning the post in our context. Our city and, and, and where we live, where we work, where we play, we are manning the post, the post that God has given us. And so if we don't man our post and, and the church on the street mans theirs, well, praise be to God, the mission's going forward, but we, we didn't do our job. We didn't do our job. 
Every church locally in, in, in the entire city of San Antonio who knows, loves, and trusts Jesus needs to do their job. We need to do our job. They do their job. Additionally, the churches in other states, nations, they got to do their job. We're working in tandem, one king, one mission, but it's playing out on different fronts. You saw this in like, if you study history or even like places like different wars, like World War II had different fronts. You had the Pacific, the Pacific Ocean where there was a different type of warfare that was going on than, than maybe uh, in, in other regions of, of that war. There was, there was naval war, there was air war, there was ground war, all happening in the same ultimate war, same mission. I need us to see that this is, it's the same with the, the body of Christ. We're scattered abroad, all Jesus-loving, Bible-believing churches, all those who, who profess the name Jesus, but with one king, with one mission. And then our, our specific assignments are, are segmented to the local context where we find ourselves. And Paul is looking at a local church in, church in their local context and trying to help them rally around Jesus' mission in their local context with the gifts that God has given the Corinthians. God wants to do the same thing for us. But if we don't realize we're on the same team, then we're not going to function very well, Correct? Like if you've if you've ever watched uh, uh, some some videos of like uh, uh, you know a basketball game when uh, the the person didn't realize they're shooting on the other team's goal you're like oh no everyone's screaming yay they got they're gonna get the shot no 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 don't shoot there like sometimes Christians can be like that like dude you're shooting on the for the wrong team like we need to do this is called repentance don't shoot at the at the enemy's goal shoot at our goal let's go the other way that's what repentance is and so what we must see is that we're on one team united on Jesus's mission. Paul will actually say later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that King Jesus is in fact one king. He is on his throne now. Additionally, he will be king now and forevermore, forever. What, it, what he means by this, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, is that he will sit on his throne until his enemies have become his footstool. And he's going to use his church by the means to continue that mission forward. We have a king who's seated on his throne. He's, he's a he's drafted us onto his team, adopted us onto his team, and has told us, you got to continue my mission, and I'm going to give you my gifts to do it. Every single individual is going to get different gifts, but we're going to be one band, one sound, you know, if you have uh, know what I'm talking about, like one direction. Too many social references in there. Those were nuggets. If you got them, you got them. If you didn't, you're welcome. Um, so when we look around, though, however, look around, however, you look around, we're on this mission, but you look around and you go, man, the world seems like it's like lost its mind. What's the, what are Christians supposed to do? And so sadly, some Christians are like, you know, we're just going to sit here and wait till Jesus returns. Because, you know, it's, the world's going to hell, so we're not going to get involved and we're going to let them go to hell. We're just going to sit here. And it's going to, that's not what we're called to. Jesus says that when he returns, and he will return, uh, that you better be found working, doing the work doing the mission. And so Christians who are maybe struggling, they're looking around at the, at the, at the world, and they're going, is this the end times? Well, here's the reality. You don't know. And if you think you know, you're wrong, because even Jesus doesn't know. Jesus himself doesn't know when he's returning. You're like, really? Yeah, he says that. Because I don't even know. Only the Father knows. I want you to think about that. So, so we're, we need to understand Jesus is coming back. When he's coming back, until then, we got to be working. That's how you need to think. Until he comes back, we got to be working. we got to work for this generation, next generation, teach our kids to keep doing, continuing the legacy and lineage and mission that Jesus gave, just like those who before us did. And that's why we're Christians. We're here today, because someone didn't give up on the mission. 
And so hopefully when we do this, we do this in an organized manner where we're united on the same front, the same team, same Jesus, going the same direction. And what I need us to understand in this, this world we live in, because there's a lot of talk, right, about like the, everyone's the, the, the new TikTok trend is like, have you ever, guys, have you, how often do you think of the Roman Empire? Who cares? It's over. The Roman Empire has failed. Guess what will also fail? The United States of America will, be, will fail too. Like when? I don't know. But every kingdom, every nation has failed and they will fail. Kingdoms will come and go. Presidents will come and go. Nations will come and go. Tribes will come and go. But the kingdom of heaven will not. It has come. It will remain. It will continue and it will, it will last and it will endure no matter who's in charge, what nation you live in, no matter what part or era or, or time in history you have. Jesus is on his throne and he's leading his people in mission and it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what part of history you're in or what nation you live in or where you find yourself in. You better be, if you're a Christian, about the Father's business, the kingdom building. Will that affect the nation you live in? Absolutely. Yes, it will. It will 100% affect the nation you live in, and it should. But the point I'm making is that it's the King Jesus flag that that waves above the American flag. That offended some people. Like, he is above every nation, tribe, tongue. We must see that. And we're not, if we we find ourselves, I'm not saying you can't, you know, be be patriotic. What I'm saying is that Christians must be kingdom-minded first and foremost. We must see that we got to be on the king's mission where we live, work, and play. And what this is, this church gathered is is a little taste, should be a little taste of heaven. The kingdom come, Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And who is he given the charge of the, uh, 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 to do that work? The church. The church is to go out, spread out, and in effect, in effect, the nation that we live in. But here we've gathered as a church to worship Jesus. If you're not a Christian, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. But we're not here to, uh, to do anything other than worship our king, Jesus. So we want you to witness, watch on, look on. Like, that's the guy, Jesus. He's the king. We worship him. We worship him alone. And we are united on this team because he has, he has bought us into his family. We are literally blood-bought sons and daughters of God. Which makes us, because we're all from different parts of the city, different you know, backgrounds, we, it makes us a pretty diverse team. It really is. And so the local church is a diverse team. That's the second thing we want to see. We're a united team. We're a diverse team. And here's what we mean by diverse, uh, because we live in a world that means diverse means the inclusion of everything. Uh, that's not what the word diverse means. Uh, it means, or at least not in God's terms, what he means by diversity here is that we come from different races, backgrounds, uh, cultures, upbringing, socioeconomic statuses, those things. We're diverse in where we've come from, but we're united on where we're going. And so he says it this way, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many members. What he's saying is that there's, God saved you from, some of you were Jews. What, what this means is some of you were, uh, 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 he's talking to this church, that some of them, their background was, they were Hebrews, like Jesus. Jesus was a Hebrew man. He was a Hebrew man from, from uh, the tribe of Judah. There we go. Jesus, a Jewish man. Those are God's Old Testament people. God saves people from his Old Testament people. He also saves Greeks. Greeks 
not just those in the Greco-Roman Empire, but those are literally any and everyone who is not Jewish. That's what that word means here. It's like, so he, God saves people out of, out of the, the Hebrew land. He also ha- he saves everyone else. That's what he's saying. And in those two groups of people, there are people who are enslaved, uh, enslaved and there are people who are free. God saves them too. What he is saying is God saves all types of people. There's not anything, any place in which God isn't willing to go to save someone. I need you to see this. No matter what your background is, what's your socioeconomic status, no, what's your race, no matter where you find yourself, Jesus will come after you to, to adopt and save. And he does from every tribe, nation, and tongue. He does. But I need you to see this. We are united by God, the Holy Spirit, who saves us and seals us. But we are, and we are diverse socially, culturally, ethnically, even racially. But we are not diverse. Here's what I'm saying. We are not diverse in regards to who we worship. We don't worship many gods. We worship one God. We're not diverse in that. That's what makes Christianity very unique. Jesus says there's one way. One way to the Father. One way. So in one sentence, Jesus, and he says anyone can come, but there's one way. So in one sentence, Christianity is the most diverse and, 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 and um, uh, ex- inclusive religion there is. Because anyone can come. But it's the, most, it's the most exclusive religion also, one way. If you don't come one way, then you can't get in. There's only one way in, and that's Jesus. Anyone can come, but they must, they must bow their knee to Jesus. No matter your background, which religion you worship, where you find yourself, you, you leave it all. You leave all of who you once worshipped, and you, you trade the worship for worship of Jesus. That's entrance into the kingdom. And so what the, the kingdom of God, as it's expanding, it's meeting people in real life, in real culture, and, and, and addressing their real idols in, the, 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 the heart, in their heart where they really worship real things. And they're saying, exchange that. For the true worship of Jesus, he's God. He he made you, he created you, he loves you, he adopted you. He he made a way for adoption for you. He died in your place for your sins. He he wants to forgive you, he wants to cleanse you, he wants to to set you free. And that offers to anyone. But it's at a a cost. It was at the cost of God's son's life, Jesus dying in your place for your sins. And the cost for you is faith and that, that you exchange the worship of any other God for the worship of one God, Jesus. So we're not diverse in religion. We're not diverse in who we worship. We're not diverse in who's, who's king. We're not diverse in, in who the Bible talks about. What is the, we're not diverse in what the Bible is main point. The main point is the Bible is about Jesus. He tells us that. We're not diverse in the authority of scriptures. We don't go, you know, uh, I'm the authority. We're going to read what we think is the authority into the scripture. We're going to edit the scripture. No, we don't edit the scriptures. We proclaim the scriptures. We submit to the scriptures. That's what we do. That's what it means to be a Christian. So all types of people are welcome. We're very diverse. All types of backgrounds. But we all must bow. We all must surrender. We all must worship. We all must trust Jesus. And therefore be saved. And he says there's no distinction. Whether it be Jew or Greek. American. African. Asian. Any other. I just name the continents. I know America's on a continent. Slave-free, any, no distinction. No distinction. And so what we must understand is that there, there, there is a reality that, that we are diverse and Jesus saves. But we're united not only under the, the, the banner of the Holy Spirit sealing us and gifting us, but we're also united around what the Bible teaches is called sound doctrine. 
sound doctrine. That's what, what the, old, the New Testament is, is, is clear about over and over emphatic again around the teaching of the, the New Testament scriptures that we believe we hold essential doctrines. Meaning this, that Christians, uh, here are some of the essential ones, and they're going to get real controversial real quick because you'll see that what God says is essential is literally in our world today, they deem as, as problematic. And this is not, we didn't pick the fight. God wrote the book a long time ago. The, the culture we live in is now making a fight with God. I just want you to hear this. Christians throughout the entire history of Christianity have always worshipped one God. One God. You know, when Islam thought that we worshipped three, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't. We worship one God. Eternally existing, yes, in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but one God. Additionally, we believe that God created the world. That's a Christian belief. You might believe in that when he created it, it was like bang, a big bang, like boom, let there be light. I'm okay with that as long as God created it. Like it didn't happen accidentally and naturally and just things just, mm. no. God said, let there be light, and boom, there was light. How do we know he told us? You think if the guy did it, he would tell it. Like, right, you're like, how, when, you, when you look at whatever thing you're wondering, how was that created? You're like, where do you go? You go to the creator. How was this designed? You go to the creator. You want to know how mankind was designed? Go to the creator. So the next offensive thing I'll say that Christians have held and believed throughout the entire human history is male and female, gender being binary. That is a God create. How do we know? God created them male and female. That's what the scriptures teach us. Like, well, I don't really want to believe that. Culture tells me not to believe that. I, I'm sorry. God says that male and female, not only did God create all the inhabitants of the world, he created it in a certain way, male and female. And male and female, they reproduce, which means that God has sexual ethics on how that should be done. And he's not, we're not narrow-minded and bigoted. We're just saying that this is how God designed it. And when you don't use things according to God's design, it leads to uh, chaos. It leads to destruction. It leads to ruin. Just take a kid who, who, who wants to use a, 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 a butcher knife ah, to color. Sounds problematic, huh? You're like, I, there's a lot of reasons why that's problematic. Why? Well, he feels that, you know, the butcher knife is the thing he wants to use. You're like, that's not the design for it. He can't do that. He's going to cut himself. Oh, nope. He gets to choose. No, he doesn't get to choose. Why? Because that knife was created for a purpose. Use the knife on purpose. It's not a, doesn't color. Only colors you're going to get is red, and that's because he's going to prick his hand and it's going to be bloody. That's, that's it. And so we're not narrow-minded and bigoted over this. We're going, hey, this is how God designed it for the good and flourishing of humanity because God loves us. So Christians point back to the God that made us and say, hey, he, I think he got it right on how he designed it. And we're, we're not trying to hate anyone. We're just trying to love people. We're trying to point people to this is his design. And so how we use sexuality, like sex ethics, we use one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's God's design, which then produces children. So we also believe in human life, and it begins in, at conception. That's what the Bible teaches. And so some of you may be hearing some of these things. You're going, hey, you know, you know, you know what? I don't believe some of those things, but I still call myself a Christian. I just want you to know if you find yourself at odds with those, you're at odds with God, not me. I just want you to know that. And, and you can still be a Christian, but you've got to repent, you need to repent. You need to see what we need to do when we are faced with what God says and what we believe is when we see that we are wrong, we confess that we're wrong, and we change. That's what we do. That's what repentance is. Going back to that analogy of like the person trying to shoot on the other team's goal, you're like, no, 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 don't shoot there. Like, go the other way. 
Go back. That's all repentance is, is saying, hey, you're headed this way. And if you've ever watched a child's game and you see the, the kid running over, they don't know what they're doing. They're going to the wrong direction. Like, oh, you don't get mad at them. You're not fighting them. You're not yelling at them. You're not cussing at them. You're like, hey, no, no, kid, 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 go the other way. And some of you hear it when we say that uh, if you don't have the God's sex ethic or God's view of human life, you're like, man, this must not be the church for me. Why are they beating me up? Why are they, why are they attacking my beliefs? What I'm trying to say is you're like the kid running to the other goal and we're going, no, 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 no. Turn around and come back. And what happens if the kid doesn't? He scores for the other team. Eventually you find out he's, a, he's not on your team anymore. It's called apostasy. And so what we're saying is if you're a Christian and, you, and Jesus has saved you and you're united, united on his team like the scripture says and you've been, you're on this diverse, global, awesome team and you find yourself disagreeing with God, all we're saying is that when you find yourself disagreeing with God, you go, I'm wrong. He's right. Let me submit to him. And, let me, and if you have questions about that and you want to wrestle through that and talk through that, man, we'll walk with you through it. But what we won't do is edit what God has declared to be true. Additionally, we're united. So, so if that's you, you're like, guess what? We're united in this regard. We're sinners. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Like we, we've all sinned. So we're united in that we've all, we all need a Savior. We all need a Savior. And his name's Jesus. And he went to the cross. He died on a Roman cross in your place for your sins. Conquered sin, conquered Satan, conquered death, conquered the grave, was crucified, buried, and has been risen and is alive now. Jesus is alive now. We believe that. So if you don't believe in Jesus being God and being dying in your place for your sins on the cross, if you don't believe that he died on the cross, he doesn't, you don't believe he resurrected from the dead, then that's not, then, and you don't believe he's going to return, then you're not a Christian. Those are things that Christians are united around because that's what saves us. That's what we call the gospel or the good news. So we're united in this regard, but we're diverse in where we come from our backgrounds, the religions we used to, to play a part in, the, 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 the idols we used to have. Paul tells the, the, the Corinthians later or earlier in chapter 6, he says, some of you used to be deceived. Now you're not. Some of you used to be sexually immoral. Now Jesus saved you. Some of you were idolaters. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you practiced homosexuality. Some of you were thieves. Some of you were greedy. Some of you were drunkards. Some of you were violers. Some of you were swindlers. But Jesus saved you. You were once these things, and then Jesus saved you. That's the diversity. We were, we, even our sins are diverse. Not just our backgrounds, but we, we diversely sin. And that's all being redeemed because Jesus adopts us, saves us, cleanses us, drafts us onto a team, and then does what? Gives us a diversity of gifts to the church to now use for his name, his sake. Next, we see the local church is not just diverse and united, but we're interdependent. We're an interdependent team. What I mean by this is that we need each other. He says this, if a foot should say, uh, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would, make it, that would not make it any less part of the body. So if it's like, hey, you know what, because you, you know, I can't eat, you can't eat with me, then I'm, not, I'm useless. Nope, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. Or if the ear should say, uh, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong in the body, that, would make, that wouldn't make it any less part of the body. So what are you saying here is what I want you to see is that your feelings, your feelings about yourself, whether you see yourself as a significant member of the body of Christ is actually irrelevant to the point that you are a part of the body. 
your feelings matter, but your feelings, whether if, you, if you're like, my, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an ear and I don't really feel like I'm a part of the body because I'm not an eye. It's self-evident you are. Everyone's looking at the, you know, going, that's kind of dumb. Like, there's the eye, it's on the face. Like, you're actually not just on the body, but you're on the same part of the body. Like, the hand and the foot are way different. I can see that difference. But one body, it's self-evident, and it's what he is saying. Therefore, a Christian, being the fact that you profess Christ as Lord, should be self-evident that you are a significant member of the body of Christ. He says, he continues, if the whole body were an eye, there would be, where, or where would there be any sense of hearing? So it's not really, remember he's talking about spiritual gifts, right? He's not just talking about the fact that we're human beings members on the team, but he's talking about the gifts that are on the team. He's saying, what would it, what's the point of the, the body only having eyesight? Like it can't hear, it can't taste, it's not really functioning very well. So it's true if you only have one gift. If the whole church only has one gift, it doesn't really function very well. So there needs to be a diversity, an interdependent, working together, needing of all the spiritual gifts to work in harmony for Jesus and his mission. That's what he is saying. That's what he's saying. And so uh, if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. And he's, just as God made different body parts on a, on a human body, so he is saying in the context of verse 12, what we've been talking about with spiritual gifts, he has gifted the church with different spiritual gifts to use together for Jesus, his kingdom, and his mission. They're to work in harmony. If you only have one gift, it doesn't really, it's not really helpful. Just like having all, you know, the whole entire body being eyes. Be kind of creepy, kind of weird, also not very functional. Um, he continues and he says that uh, if, if all were a single member, where would the body be? Like it wouldn't be. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. So I can't say, you know what? Because you aren't as cool as me and can't see color, your hand, I don't need you. You can't say that. Nor the, the, the head say to the feet, I don't need you. Ever walked in the dark? You're like, I really need my eyes. My feet, thank you. You're welcome. I can see. I'm just saying, the church of Jesus sometimes walks around like we're a headless monster trying to be beautiful feet everywhere, spread the good news, but we don't have any good sight. We have no direction. We have no leadership. We have no mission. We have no, we have no vision being cast. We have no uh, administration. We have no unity uh, in order to, to put the, the, the plan together. We have no wisdom. These are all gifts that God has given his church to function well. We need one another. And we are united to Jesus, adopted as the king's kids on his mission. And so you can't look at your brother and sister in the church and say, hey, I don't need, those, I don't need your gift. My gift's better. My gift's better. I have the gift of teaching, so I don't need administration. Here's the fun fact. If Pastor Alex, if I only had me, my gift of, of teaching, and we didn't have Pastor Alex a gift of administration, we wouldn't be here today because we wouldn't pay any bills. We wouldn't know what we're doing. Like, I mean, I do, like, oh, I can preach, but like, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, but uh, he can't organize. So we, we need, the body needs help. We need help together. We need different gifts to work in tandem together. So we can't say, I don't need each other. But we can say this. You can say, hey, bro, you're a foot. You should stop acting like a hand. Because it's kind of gross to eat with your feet. Like, that's, that's okay. Not that you're gross, but the gift, using it, you're just using it improperly. Like, you can say that. That's, that. You can say that. Like, you're looking at someone that, man, you don't have the gift of teaching. Stop teaching. Or, hey, man, you don't have the gift of administration. Stop managing the books. Because you're going to end up in jail. 
Like, right? That, that can be, that can, that's a real thing. That's a real thing. And so some Christians, uh, or many of us, what we'll, we'll do is when we, we, we find our gift, or we figure out, well, maybe, maybe I'm not gifted in these areas. Maybe many of you know where you're not gifted. You're like, I'm not sure where I'm gifted yet. What can tend to happen is, is one of two things that, for Christians. Uh, when, 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 when sin enters our, and pride in our own heart, when it ends up happening, is one of two things uh, when it comes to spiritual gifts that God has given us that deviate us from his design. Number one, we can become arrogant and proud, kind of like the eye saying to the hand, I don't need you. I don't need you, man. Like, I'm, I'm, I got vision. I can see. I know where we're going. Hand, you're just getting in the way, man. You're like opening doors. That's cool. But I, I mean, I can see. I'm cooler than you. Sometimes Christians with their spiritual gifts think they're better than other people. Like, I got a better gift than you. I, I, I can sing better than you. I can serve better than you. I can, I'm, I'm just, I can teach better than you. I can, I, I can lead better than you. Like, and so we start thinking that. Or we start to think like, hey, my gifts are better than the other guy down the street, so our church is better than them. No, they got their own front. They got their own mission. They, got, they need their gifts to work there. We need our gifts to work here, right? And so pride can enter. And, and it's, this is what we see, the same demonic lie that, that Satan used uh, uh, or believed himself in, in, in heaven before he was kicked out was this. Hey, I'm better than you, God. I, I don't need you. So Satan got kicked out, and guess who followed him? A bunch of angels. Because why? Pride is attractive. Hey, he's better than everyone. Look at that guy. He's better. He's, he's the best. He's the best leader. He, look at his gifting. But he's, he's arrogant and proud, and so all the angels, uh, not all of them, a score of angels follow Satan, and they become, they get cast out of heaven. They become fallen angels, and, and they, Satan and demons. That's what they are, fallen angels. Because they, 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 were tr- they, they believed the lie that God wasn't the best that they were. Their giftings were better than everyone else's. Don't do that. The second is to, is to, uh, to be prone to look at what you don't have and therefore question the goodness of God. This is what Adam and Eve did, right? So in the garden, uh, they could eat of any tree in the garden. God said, don't eat of one tree. Uh, only one tree, don't eat of. God says, eat of all of them but one. Satan shows up after he got kicked out, and he shows up to Adam and Eve. What does he say? Hey, God is withholding from you. He won't let you eat eat of that tree because he doesn't want you to be like him. He lies to him. He lies to him. So they believing that God was withholding, God did not have their best interest in mind. They were lacking because because of the lack of God's goodness. They chose to eat and disobey. Ruined it for everybody after that, right? Like that, it just got bad. It went from bad to worse real quick. I need us to see this. Many of us, when we look at our gifts, we'll see that I don't have that gift. Therefore, God is withholding. Can't be that way. It's like saying, hey, the hand saying, I'm not an eye. So cut off my hand. Like some of you are, you'd just be like, that sounds really crazy. You can't expect the hand to have vision and sight. You're absolutely right. Therefore, I don't understand why the body of Christ would want to dismember themselves from different gifts. Because you're lacking a gift. Don't, don't look at yourself as if God is withholding from you. Just ask God, how do you use and steward the gift you have? Because we all value our hands, our feet, other parts of our body. And so we need, they need to work in tandem together with the rest of the body for the mission. You're not lacking in, you're not lacking. You may lack a gift, but that doesn't mean you are lacking. God has maybe not given you a gift. Maybe pray, ask him. Maybe he gives, you it, gives it to you later. We see later where he, in 1 Corinthians, he says, hey, if you desire, earnestly desire some gifts. But God could say no. And that doesn't. If he says no, I want you to see this, that, that doesn't affect 
your dignity, value, or worth, which is what we see next. See, the church may be diverse on this mission, united to Jesus with different gifts, but our value is not based upon our gift. Our value is not based upon our position on the team. Our value is based upon the fact that we are image bearers of God. We have all equal dignity, value, and worth, but we function differently. We have different function. So, verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on, so there's no part of the body that it doesn't have a purpose, is what he's saying. There's no part of the church that, that, there's no gift that God doesn't have a purpose for, is what he's saying. And he's given those gifts to people. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor. Um, and, on, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, of, which is, we understand this. That's why I, I, my face is showing. My beard hair is showing out. My chest hair is showing. I'm showing some modesty, right? Like there's a difference. And, and we understand this, you know. And so there's some gifts that need to be more presentable, some less presentable. Um, but God has also composed the body with greater honor uh, to the part that lacked it. So what he is saying here is that we, we all have, uh, we are all, we have different gifts. They function differently. They're, they function differently. But he needs to see that our value and worth are not wrapped up in 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 our gifts, our, our, our value and worth are wrapped up in whose we are. We're Jesus is we're the we're adopted sons and daughters, but we do have different gifts. There's a diversity of gifting here, and so in a similar way that there's more visible body parts, there are from time to time. If it's cold, you know, my arms are less visible, right? If it's warmer, my, I'm not wearing a jacket. They are visible. There, so there are some body parts. There's some gifts I should say that are interchangeable. Sometimes they're more they're more visible. Sometimes they're less visible. Uh, there's some gifts uh, that, that are always going to be behind the scenes. It's just how it is. There's some, there, there are some gifts that are, that are forward-focusing, some that are more private. And this is what we, we see here in, in, in the text, that some of these gifts have different functions in use. So like teaching, leading, faith, maybe more public gift, but, but gifts like helps and admin and service and, and, and stuff like that, wisdom, maybe more behind-the-scenes gifts. And sometimes they'll come to they'll, they'll come they'll be in the spotlight. Sometimes they won't be. And so, additionally, when you see like gifts like tongues, which we're not gonna, we're going to get into as it, as as we go on later, but this is a, this is praying. Uh, sometimes praying in tongues. Like you've heard of that praying in tongues. Well, what does Jesus say to the Pharisees? He says, "Don't go sit on, sit out on the street corner and flaunt your prayers. Go into the closet, close the door, and pray. For what your Father sees in secret, He'll reward you." So what I want, to, I, want you, I want you to see is that God doesn't say that, that, that hey, prayer is like a, a less, less than gift. He's like, no, don't use it. Prayer shouldn't be your primary public ministry. It should be more private ministry. Prayer is a private ministry, private gifting. Public prayer, do we pray publicly? Yes. But it's not the, if the only time you pray is public, then you need to devote yourself to some private prayer. Like that's, that's where it's, it's used for. So some gifts are used to be more public. Some gifts are used to be more private. And that's a good thing. Just like the body has different forms of, uh, of what he says is modesty here, different forms of discretion, different forms of, of, of visibility. So therefore, our gifts have different variants of visibility. Now, I'm going to head down and make a point, maybe offensive for a moment, but it's okay. Ladies, what happens? What happens when someone says, hey, you need to show more modesty? Don't answer out loud. 
just, just think, I'm going to let it sit there. Men, I would use you, but you don't get offended. Ladies, you get offended. You tell a guy he needs to be more modest, like he doesn't get offended like the same way a woman does. I promise you, I've tried it. Just take my word for it. Some of you are just like boiling even now. Like, where is he going? We're just going to linger for a moment. Like, what happens, ladies, if, you, if someone says, hey, you need to be more modest? Varying things happen. One is sometimes shame. What are you saying about me? Like, I need to be more modest. Was I, like, wh- why do you look at, what do you, like, wh- what's going on? Right? Sometimes that, that there's a real, real shame element, and guys are like, really? They think that? Like, welcome to the difference between male and female. Like, uh, there is a difference. So sometimes you feel shame. Like, what, why is someone, why are you saying that? What do you mean by that? Are you saying, what, what's going on? Number two, you may feel undervalued. Like, well, I, I, that's not fair. Like, how come the, the boys wear, uh, don't wear, a, 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 it's my daughters, you know, feel like, how come it's okay for, you know, their brother to go to the swimming pool without a shirt on, but not them? They don't know yet, but there's a reason, right? There's a reason. Uh, and some of you are like, well, w- those are norms that we should eradicate, blah, blah, blah. That's not true. God says that this is just like the body parts. There's some, that, there's some discretion for some parts and some visible for other parts, and it functions differently. So, too, it is with the gifts of God as well. Now, the third, third person will just be like, how dare you tell me I need to be more modest? He'll be real. Either way, though, no matter your, your, your feeling, ladies, right, it's always personal, right? It's always personal. Guys don't really take that stuff personal, but ladies, you do. And so I'm, I'm making this point not to tell you to be more modest. What I'm saying is that just how you feel like that was personal, those are personal things, I need you to see that the, Paul is addressing a group of people who have certain gifts that when he tells them they need to be more modest about them or, or be less public about them, they're going to get offended. And it's like, well, is my gift not valuable because I have to, it has to be more private? Like, that doesn't seem fair. I want you to just think about it. Just think about the arguments around modesty, and then I want you to see that it's the same dialogue tends to happen often around the, gift, the gifts as well. And so what, what, what we're not saying is that those who have different gifts have different value. No, we're saying they're equal in dignity and value, but they function differently. They function differently. Men and women function differently. Their apparel functions differently. The, 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 the gifts are different. They function differently. But everyone, every human is made in the image of likeness of God. You have equal dignity, value, and worth. You do as image bearers of God. And so sometimes you can, you can, you can hear that your gift isn't a public gift and feel like your gift doesn't have value. Because you see the guy who's doing the public gift, you go, I want that gift because it's in public. Everyone sees it, everyone cheers him on, everyone celebrates him, everyone likes him. Every, I want to be like that guy or that girl. Like, I want to be like that. Here's a fun fact. Anyone you know in the public that everyone likes has a bunch of haters on the side. Like, I just want you to know. Like, I'm a one or five-star review. Like, that's what it is. Like, it's, it's, and some of you are like, no, you're a three. That's fine. It's okay. Uh, but what I'm saying is it's typically if someone's going to write a review, they're going to be like, hey, this is great, or we hate this guy. I need you to know. And so that, that, that can have an effect on you. And so oftentimes there's a negative side to every gift. There's a negative side, and you just don't know it because you don't have the gift yet, or you don't have the gift. What I want you to see, if you put your value and worth in your gift, when someone celebrates you, you it goes to your head, and when someone, when someone criticizes you, it goes to, to your heart and soul, and it ruins you. It ruins you. So you can't find your, your, you can't misplace your value and worth in your giftedness, or it will destroy you. The enemy will use that to destroy you. And so... Because of that, we must see that we have equal worth but different gifts that function differently. But your worth, hear hear me this, your worth is in the fact that you're an adopted son or daughter of 
the Lord Jesus. That's where your worth is. How do I know this? How do we know this? It's like, how do we calculate worth in our day? How do we calculate worth? It's what you're willing to pay for something, correct? Like you look at, you go to Amazon, you're like, hey, that's too much. I'm not paying for that. And so you look for the, the cheaper version. That's, you know, that's what we all do. We look for the, you know, it's going to take five days shipping. No, not worth it. Going back to that one, right? It's not worth it. We say things like that but it's because we want something now. Something has worth based upon the, 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 the amount you're willing to pay for it, correct? That's how much it's worth to you. Some of you are like, I'll pay more for that. Some of you are like, I'll pay less for that. Either way, worth is defined by you based off what you are willing to pay. Hear this. Jesus paid his life for you. He gave it all. I want you to see this. Your worth as a, as a son or daughter of God is greater than any price that anyone else would be willing to pay. Not only, and it's not because you were good and great and awesome. It's because Jesus is good, great, and awesome. And we're rebelling, running from him, hell-bent on our own destruction. And he says, I want that man, I want that woman to be in my family. So I'm going to pay for them to be in my family with my life. This is what love is. If you, don't, if, if, if you were wondering how to be loved and what does love look like, look at uh, one rebelling away from God. And God saying, I want you. I'm coming after you. I'm going to sacrifice my life for you. I'm going to give it all for you. That's what Jesus has done. Do you believe? Because that's, that, that's the offer. To experience what is truly unconditional love. And for those who you know, love, and trust Jesus, that's your value and worth. The cross of Christ is the proof. If those of you are questioning your value and worth, you need look no further than the cross of Christ and receive that love through faith and repentance in Jesus. When Jesus saves you, what he does is he gifts you with different gifts, fills you with his spirit, but he unites you onto his team and his mission. And that's where we'll end. We're a united team on Jesus' mission. He says that there may be no division among the body. So stop with the division. One mission, one Jesus, one faith. Here we go. But its members may have the same care for one another. If one suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What he's saying is that when, when you're... When we, when we win, we win together. When we lose, we lose together. When, we, when we're hurting, we're hurting together. When, we, when, when we're victorious, we're victorious together. What he's saying is we're one body. When we suffer, we're all suffering. When we're winning, we're all winning. And so what this means, what I need you to see this, he says this so that, but that the members have the same care for one another. We can actually care for one another. You can, just as, as the body parts care for one another naturally, if you noticed, like the, the hands are never like, hey, I'm going to walk on my, uh, I'm going to walk, I'm going to use my feet. Like if your foot gets stubbed, you're like everything else is affected, right? Like the body works together. And so he's saying is that we should be caring for the body, caring for one another, using our gifts that he's given us through the Holy Spirit to care for one another. And he says this, what this means is that if we're going we're gonna, to uh, suffer together and we're going to rejoice together, what this means is there's always opportunities. Every single day, 100% of the time in the church of Jesus Christ for both of these, there's always opportunities for rejoicing and there's always opportunities for care. Always opportunities for rejoicing, always opportunities for care. So we should be a church that is just so vibrant and excited. Rejoicing celebrating, partying. Like, we, Church of Jesus should be the, not just the happiest place, but the most fun place. I'm waiting for someone to write a systematic theology uh, on fun. Maybe I'll do it. Like, that's, heaven's going to be fun. If you don't think it is, then you don't know anything about heaven. It's going to be fun. 
exciting, exhilarating, adventurous. And we're to live life on earth, on earth as it is in where? Heaven. Hmm. Maybe Christians stop being so sad all the time and rejoice and have fun. Like, well, I'm suffering right now. Okay, they need to be cared for. But like, we're either suffering or we're rejoicing. That's it. And in the New Testament, we actually see them coming together where they get persecuted and that leads to rejoicing. Like, ah, you persecuted me. That's awesome. Let's throw a feast. And I want you to just picture this. And I think this is the reality that Christians don't understand that we have this great mission. And part of the mission is celebrating. Part of this mission is suffering with one another, caring for one another, and sometimes doing it in tandem together. If we see that we're one body, one family, one mission, and you start doing these things, you're like, oh, I'm exhausted. I can't care for everybody in the church. Yeah, you're not supposed to. The rest of the body is supposed to do it. We're supposed to do it, work together. Man, we're celebrating all the time. I'm running out of funds for this party. All right, well, someone else pitch in. For, you know, right? If you, if you think about, if you're always celebrating, always rejoicing, always caring for one another, you can't do it on your own. You need the body. You need one another to work together. Even the uh, a celebration, we were talking about this before service, like the, the event of a celebrated, like a party requires gifts. You got to have someone organize it. Like, invite people over. You have to have someone host hospitality. Like, clean, organize. Like, have tables. Have utensils. Have stuff. A trash can. Like, you just, those are details you got to think of. And you got to have a cook. And typically, the guy who's cooking is not the guy who's administrating. I just, my experience. Like, it's just not, it's not a thing, right? You work together and everyone celebrates rejoicing the team working together. I want us to see this, that, that the kingdom of, of Jesus Christ manifesting through the church should be marked with both rejoicing and opportunities to care for one another. They're always there. Are you making those available? Do you let people know you need care for? Do you let people know you're, you're excited? Let's rejoice. Let's celebrate. That's what the kingdom should be marked with. And then Jesus tells us that the world will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. All of this boils up into this, this, this constant rejoicing no matter what the circumstances of the world are on the outside. But the kingdom of Jesus is rejoicing. We're also suffering with one another. We're there in the trenches with one another. We care for one another. And all of a sudden together this combines to be a, a light or a, a shining forth through the church of Jesus that the, the New Testament tells us that it's a city on a hill that can't be hidden. So the watching world looks at and goes, man, how do I have access to that, that joy in the middle of those trials and circumstances? How do I have access to care? These people love each other. They care. Who's that God they worship? Can you tell me about him? We're like, yeah, we can tell you. His name's Jesus. We worship Jesus. We were not on his team. We were rebelled against him. We hated it. Some of us were atheists. Some of us were persecuting the church. We, this is us. And he saved us in his great mercy and love, and he adopted us onto his team. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. And when with this, Jesus himself, Jesus himself has suffered for you. When Jesus suffered, you suffered. You got to see this. When Jesus suffered on the cross, you suffered. When Jesus died on the cross for sins, you died on the cross for sins. When Jesus was buried, literally buried, your sinful soul was buried with him. This is what we talk about baptism. You're buried with Christ. 
raised to walk in the newness of life. Jesus' death was your death to sin. His resurrection gave you access to the family, to entrance into the kingdom of God. Jesus not just bestows upon you the name Christian, brother, sister, adopted son, daughter. What he bestows upon you even more is his entire inheritance. Everything he earned is yours. It's the king's kids. We have access not just to the salvation of the Lord Jesus, not just to the righteousness of the Lord Jesus, but also to the inheritance of the Lord Jesus, to steward it, to use it. To Then he blesses us with different gifts so that we could love, serve, and build his kingdom, bless his church, and see cities transformed by the gospel of Jesus. And so when he suffered, you suffered. When he was honored, guess what? We're told in Romans 8 that if we suffer with him, we will be what? Glorified with him. Christian, you were made for glory, just not in your sinful state. Glory's coming. It's going to be awesome. And it's because Jesus has been glorified. When he suffered, we suffered. When he's honored, we rejoice. And therefore, also we see that in heaven, when a sinner repents, heaven throws a party. Heaven's always rejoicing. People are always repenting. I need you to see this. Every day when you repent of a sin or someone else repents of the sin, the whole body should be coming together rejoicing. Like, do you get really pumped when you see a, a, a member of the church? I mean, I've overcome this, or man, I was walking this way, now I'm walking back on the line of Christ. Or, hey, you know what? I, I, I oppose God and His Word, but now I want to submit to it. Like, we should rejoice, throw a party, celebrate. Great cause to rejoice. If heaven throws a party, we should too. When sinners repent, the kingdom of God advances. Last week, we got to celebrate 11 people through baptized. That was a victory for the entire church. Like, I haven't been in a few months. Well, that was a victory. I don't care. Amen, right? This was a victory for the church. If you're like, well, I didn't do anything. Well, that's what it feels like sometimes to be a member of, of, of the body. My hands and my feet don't have the same job, but we go the same direction together. Believe that, cherish that, love that, know that Jesus is the head. He's leading us on his, his mission. We should rejoice and look for opportunities to care, use our gifts to those ends. And so may our church be marked by continual and ongoing love and care for one another and rejoicing no matter what our circumstances are. Let's pray.